Hello and welcome to our second Leaders interview as part of our Cold Chain Live series. Today I'm joined by Gavin Williams, who's Managing Director for Supply Chain in UK and Ireland for XPO Logistics. Gavin, welcome to Cold Chain Live. Thank you. Good to see you, Shane. Can you start by just giving us an idea of what XPO's uh, presence is in the UK as a supply chain business? Sure. Uh, so XPO is a uh, global organisation. It's an 18 billion organisation in dollars. Uh, and in the UK, we have about 200 sites uh, across supply chain and transportation. Uh, major markets are in uh, manufacturing, retail, e-com and food and beverage. So we're a big player, big organisation and growing. And obviously you're a big player within the cold chain in the UK. Can you give us an idea of the sort of size of your cold chain operation? Sure, yeah, we have uh, 23 sites, around about 240,000 pallet stores in uh, the UK operations and uh, work with pretty much all of the major players you would expect in the grocery sector. So uh, we're, we're kind of in the epicenter of a lot of our customers and the challenges they face and opportunities in the future. And one of the things about your business is obviously you operate contract logistics operations on behalf of customers and also you do sort of public cold storage as well. So you sort of sit across those two markets. How do you sort of feel about um, the state of the UK cold chain right now? How how you see that the progress of that market? Well, well I think it's in a positive space. I think uh, uh, before COVID, uh, COVID's had an impact, but before COVID, I saw it as a maturing, improving, and uh, and an expanding market. So more SKUs, so more product lines entering, going to a bit more centralisation with some of the players that are in the market. Uh, short term, I always felt there was going to be a, a shortage of uh, supply, so demand outstripping supply. And maybe COVID has had a, an impact uh, on that even further. So we are absolutely seeing within our customer base that we work with today, people shopping more locally, shopping more conveniently. Uh, how much that's there for the longer term, we'll have to wait and see, but we can certainly see a bit of a shift towards that direction. It was a direction of travel anyway, but we can certainly see that has been accelerated over the last uh, few weeks here the, under COVID. So uh, real opportunity, uh, maybe a slight shortage of uh, supply at the moment in terms of space and capacity, but that'll be overcome in the medium term. Great, I'll ask you a bit more about that in a second, but just can I ask you about, obviously, as a business, you've been working for the last six months in the lockdown period. How have you and the team coped with the sort of restrictions and challenges of working in the unprecedented situation? Uh, brilliantly, I think. Uh, well, you, so you're in our head office today, which would normally have the uh, best part of 200 people in it. Today, you, you walk around, there's maybe 10. Uh, so first thing, I guess, is to talk about people. So the people bit was uh, really important and nobody's got the experience of a pandemic, I don't think, but I certainly didn't have. But we're an agile and responsive business and very quickly we made the decision to allow people to work from home, uh, provide the facilities and the infrastructure to, to allow them to do that. We also learned very quickly that, we knew it already, but we learned very quickly that we are real key workers. So the logistics and the supply chain industry is absolutely critical to overcoming this pandemic situation. So that's been really uh, a kind of a big learning point for me is how you can really quickly adapt to uh, you know, changes that happen so quickly. I mean, back in January, February, we weren't forecasting to have to close our head office. There's no, no doubt about that. In terms of the uh, business side of things, well, uh, we've done pretty well, actually. Um, you know, everyone was impacted in our, in, in our quarter two, so in the March through to June time. We, we, we're, not, we're, we're not immune to the market. But our core sectors, which are in food and beverage, uh, e-com and manufacturing, those businesses have kept going. And actually, uh, for many of them, they've been operating at anything between five and 30% up year on year. Mm -hmm. So it's quite strange in some parts of the business, we've been in uh, peak above peak uh, for a long time, but in some parts of the business, uh, you know, hospitality perhaps is the one I've got my mind on there. We've seen a real drop in, in demand and that's the, probably the only area that, uh, it's not the biggest part of our business, but it's probably the only area that hasn't yet got back to full recovery. But the other areas in food and beverage, e-com, 
even retail is coming back and certainly manufacturing. Those businesses have really come back with a vengeance and we're in a good space in September. We're only nine months in though into our year, but yeah. we're in a good space. And in terms of the sort of labour kind of, uh, sort of pressures that have been created by the situation, with those sort of changes in dynamics, have you been able to be quite agile with how you've been able to move your, your resource around? Uh, well, yeah, but it's been, that's been a real challenge. So, for the, you know, firstly, uh, if I go back to March and April, uh, everyone had their own interpretation of what a key worker was. So. People in, I guess, in food and uh, medical areas, they knew they were key workers because the government were talking about uh, those being real key sectors. But we've been able to help uh, and influence the government. We're on a few forums with uh, government think tanks and we've been saying to them they need to get their messages louder that uh, key workers are beyond food. It's other, other sectors that have been really important as well. And our employees over time have kind of realised that they are a key worker, you know, in terms of uh, whether they work in e-com or retail. Carrying on working was uh, government advice and we followed that. Um, we've had our challenges, you know, when, when uh, it's very hard when you've got a situation where, you know, you're restricting visitors, restricting people to sites to be able to respond to big surges of demand because it's hard to get people to move from one site to another and do that in a really safe way. So historically you would move people in, uh, you know, uh, put them in cars or put them in, uh, you know, uh, vans or whatever it be. That's been really difficult because you can't do that in a COVID situation. So the way we've responded is really really been a key part it's been with our customers and their uh, their stores and their networks to make sure that actually we try and even out the volume uh, over the course of uh, the week mm. and that's something that's very much happened in the food and beverage and the cool chain actually we've been able to spread volume rather than it being a peak on a Thursday Friday peak on a Monday Tuesday Wednesday as well so spreading the volume a bit evenly has allowed us to be able to manage the forecast and the volumes to its maximum over a long period of time. So. And do you think that's a sort of lesson learned in terms of how the interaction between yourselves and your customers and, and across the piece, do you think there's something that we will stay with us once we get back to whatever new normal looks like? Yeah, I, 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 I predict that um, people are, because they're shopping uh, more locally, people are going to stores more frequently. So perhaps the spread of the volume will be a little bit better than it's been historically, but absolutely in terms of how do you, rather than pouring volume onto the demand, how, how you can make it more efficient and spreading it is a benefit for everyone. It's, it's cheaper, it's more efficient, it's better for our employees. So in the end, everyone benefits and the end customer benefits in price. And I think that's actually one of our theme for our conference, as you know, is, is issue around net zero and, and sustainability. And that demand kind of management and sort of managing and peaking at demand helps really with efficiency in the supply chain, doesn't Correct. it? Correct. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, in the end, if you're, if you're trying to uh, kind of do a 100 meter race in nine seconds all the time, you know, that takes a big demand on the, on the supply chain that sits behind it. So if you're able to spread out the pace of the way you work a bit more evenly over time, then absolutely you're more efficient, you're more environmentally friendly and you're, you're just better in your supply chain. One of the reasons I'm so keen to talk to you, Gavin, is I know that you've have done a lot of, uh, in the last sort of year, two, well, last four or five years, in terms of investing in innovation and change in your business. Um, can you sort of tell us a bit about how you sort of made the decisions around the investments that you've made linked to the efficiencies that you've achieved and how that impacts on your environmental performance? Yeah, absolutely. So well, we invest uh, $550 million globally in, uh, in technology. So, you know, I, I've been in the business for nearly six years. That was a big difference when I joined the business under XPO is how important technology and the focus on it was within our organisation. And there's good reason. There's good reason for it. You know, you can't keep doing. Everyone, everyone works efficiently. I, tr I trust everyone. All our employees do work efficiently, um, but they need help. And the way to do that is to invest in the uh, resources that you've got. So therefore, simplify their jobs, uh, make them more efficiently. So what we do is we target our technology in specific areas that improve or solve problems. So there's no point just putting technology out there for technology's sake. There's lots of 
things you can apply. But if they don't solve our problems, then they're not going to be more efficient and more environmentally friendly. So some of the areas that we've been investing in is we've got uh, XPO Connect, which is a, a software system that sits across our suppliers, our, our operations and our customers, and optimizes the efficiency of our fleet within our business. It's, been, it's come from the US, we've imported it into our European business, and that's something that's for, very big for us. We're also looking at uh, looking and also have deployed uh, cobots in our business. So uh, this is about making our uh, employees safer because they're not having to drag around pallet trucks all the time. So it's safer for them. Uh, they're able to walk around hands-free, and it's also uh, not only more efficient. It's also more effective because they're, the quality of the work they do is a one. Whereas it's reliant on people normally. Yeah. Having the technology to support them makes it just a bit more efficient, and therefore the end game is more efficient, more environmentally friendly. So they're kind of two key areas that we're looking to deploy, mainly in transportation and, uh, and also in cobots. In the end, we're in a bigger people employer still, so we, we still pour more volume of people into our business, no matter the technology, just the efficiency of the way they operate is improving every year. That whole issue of how we gather, use and interpret data, I think is probably one of the biggest game-changing ways in which we can transform or continuously improve supply chain operations. Um, how does that sort of did that gathering of data and use of data help in terms of your relationships and discussions with customers? You heard me talk about uh, earlier on about how we've been able to smooth demand across the working week. So that is all about data you gather from your customers' information. Firstly, you need your customers to be sharing it. I mean, some of it is very sensitive information, but they absolutely now get, and it's been for a while really, but they absolutely get that. Uh, sharing that data has a direct impact on the price that we charge them for the services we provide. So being able to, uh, you know, we call it something you see with these labels of big data, etc. Actually, the, the core of this is having accurate forecasting and the way you work in accurate forecasting is having analytics to work on, which we've got in our, in our business. We've also got a smart software system that again has come from the US, has been deployed in uh, Europe which effectively manages from demand right the way through to uh, operational efficiency. So it gives a tablet of information to the warehouse operative to tell them how they're performing. But the very start of it is demand planning, you know, and getting accurate information that drives the uh, efficiency of the people that sits behind it. Yeah. So really, uh, we're going through that evolution right now. It's, uh, you know, we're, I think we're kind of at the market leading edge of that. Uh, but it's absolutely something I see expanding, uh, not just in cool chain, but across the rest of our business. Absolutely. And the other thing, obviously, you've, you've been uh, building some really quite impressive and kind of cutting edge facilities across the UK in the last few years. And those are obviously big investment decisions to make and they require quite a lot of confidence from your business but also from your customers. Is that something that's sort of specific to XPO do you think or is that something about how the supply chain is now seeing the future and seeing those needs for sort of investments in our, in our infrastructure? Well, so, so we, have a high, we have a mixture of contracts. Some of them are short-term and transactional contracts. Here and now, uh, you know, supply and uh, demands on our supply. So we have those kind of contracts. But the majority of our contracts are medium-term and probably getting a bit longer. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're getting more deeper-rooted, longer-term relationships with our customers. I mean, the one you were probably referring to, our Nestle site, I was there yesterday. Yeah. Uh, a huge investment, long-term contract. And the way you get there is to have really deep conversations with suppliers and our customer to ensure that we're the right partner, we choose the right partnership with the suppliers we work with, and the investment that we put in, I mean, significant investments that we put in, we, we need a return, we're a business. We're, we're not a charity, we're a business. And in the end, the way in which we work together is what we find a format commercially that works over a longer period of time. So I think investment always has to have a payback. That's driving a bit of a conversation around longer term uh, relationships. There's no doubt about that. We've seen that in a number of our uh, business operations. And 
where technology is, I mean, some, some of the operations we run, big automation projects, they absolutely demand longer term. I think actually some of the technology we deploy is not so uh, requiring such longer term relationships, so can still stay within the medium term contracting. But typically speaking, customers are and I guess there's a bit of a virtual circle in this. As you sort of test stuff and you see the stuff that works, you can start to apply it out of sort of longer term investments into sort of more short term activities and improve the overall performance uh, of the industry. Um, so this is a more point about sort of generic cold chain from my perspective. I think our biggest challenge in, a, in sort of the idea of a road to net zero is understanding the importance of those long-term investments on all sides because you can't transform the way you use energy, you can't transform the way you you uh, you drive efficiencies through the into operations without putting that kind of longer-term plan in place yeah. um, and um, sort of clearly sort of, sort of thing that sort of it fits very well with the, with the model that XPO has for its, its, its how it sees the future. In the end if your customer and the 3PL is thinking longer-term and strategic especially when it comes to environmental projects or technology, if it's the right thing to do and it drives a, a better efficiency within both businesses, you just have an adult conversation around the length of the contract or the contracting you, in, you, you enjoy. Mm -hmm. And those conversations have been had more and more than ever. There's no doubt about that. And I mean, we've also been through sort of two or three years of events being quite significant in the UK market. And so whether that's Brexit and all the different sort of deadlines that we've had to deal with and we've got another one coming up and also obviously the COVID situation which we've talked about a bit already. So does that help to generate that confidence and that partnership with customers do you think? Yeah, they, they, I think in, in customers they've become probably a bit more reliant and see more value in 3PLs than perhaps even more historically. I mean there's always been a value but our ability to be able to help customers uh, who maybe need additional storage, uh, might need temporary or longer term, they need partners to help them with that. They, uh, you know, some, some relationships or some customers can only sometimes operate from one, maybe two, maybe three sites. If, to, to be able to flex up in a COVID world or in a Brexit preparation, they need support and they need help. And that's absolutely what I'm hearing and feeling. And uh, I thought I, I thought I'd get away with an interview without Brexit, but it's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the first one. It's the first first time, uh, genuinely, in recent weeks that uh, this, this conversation I lost three four weeks has come back again. Last year it was everything, yeah. and COVID's taken that off a, a little bit. But uh, Brexit's coming, you know, obviously a, again, and we're we're kind of involved in lots of kind of help and think tanks with government as well to see what's coming as the as the future, and uh, we, we we think we've got a network that supports. Obviously, XPO, you're, obviously you're, you're running the UK business, which is a very large operation in its own right, but obviously you're part of a much global network, as you said at the start. How does that work in your business? How do you sort of learn from international markets? What, what, how do you sort of, how does learning knowledge and, 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 and best practice and other things percolate through the XPO group? So, so uh, a, a number of ways. Uh, I, think, I think as an organisation, the start point is we're very, very, we're a lean management structure. We're very close to our operations and our customers. So the first thing I would say is culturally, uh, globally, in UK I feel it and lead, lead it in effect, is that uh, we're very close to what's going on with our customer base. That's the start point. We also have a European lead. Uh, I, I, the UK business reports through to a European structure. We have a European lead, uh, it's actually a Brit, but works across uh, Europe who drives the, uh, in, the initiatives for uh, technology. So effectively that person is able to help us navigate and share what best practice is going on within our European business. That then requires us to be curious, so we then go finding out what value it added, how this could be magnified and, uh, and grown, and that person then you know, owns it from a kind of corporate perspective in terms of business case and the development of the initiatives and, and deployment. So that's what happens in Europe, but then we, we, our parent is a US business and uh, the, the same applies across uh, US to Europe. T 
Teams has probably made it a little bit easier. Teams and Skype, you know, we, we share best practice a lot on regular calls with our US colleagues. So, uh, and we also have customers that uh, don't just work in the UK, they work uh, in US and in the rest of Europe. So our, our ability is uh, to, to kind of share best practices in multiple different ways. There's no one way that works, but we're successful in being close to our customers and uh, having good conversations with our broader business to understand what's the best route for success. So probably at the core of what I'm trying to, we're trying to unpack in, in this conference series and the work of the Cold Chain Federation is how do we achieve those sort of big ambitions around environmental sustainability and stuff in a way that is robust, resilient and profitable for the supply chain in the short, medium and long term? Obviously you're a key decision maker in this business about how you decide these things. How important are environmental considerations in the mix of things when you're deciding what investments to make and, and, and how to sort of take the business forward? Yeah, they are, well actually they're really important. and. Uh, they're really important for a number of number of reasons, actually. Uh, they're important because quite commonly, in fact, I wouldn't say always, but quite commonly, the environmental factor is almost the same as the efficiency and commercial factor. So, you know, if you're, if you're running your fleet more efficiently, if you're uh, reducing the number of people you require because of technology, people are driving into work less or you're putting less fleet on the road, all those factors are environmental and also more commercially as well. So the two things work hand in glove. So. Uh, naturally, uh, it drive, drives the right behaviour. I mean, DNA of our business is, uh, is we've, we've got a big corporate social responsibility factor here as well. You can't be a big organisation and not believe in your values, so there's the right thing to do. But also, um, I can't remember many occasions where we've been looking to grow our business and talk to new customers where they haven't mentioned about, about our environmental credentials and looking for evidence of where we've deployed kind of gas trucks or LED lighting, whatever it takes and how well our success rate has been, and they learn from our experiences. So it's actually a really big issue for our customers as well as us. So if we want to retain our status and growth status and ambitions, we have to be leading edge in kind of what we de- how we deploy mm-hmm. environmental strategies. So uh, I, think it's, I think it's more important than ever. I mean, frankly, I can't go home without talking about it. The kids are, the new generation is growing up this way. So, yeah. you know, in, in many ways, it's, uh, it's definitely not going away. Thanks a lot, Gavin. I really appreciate the time you've given us today. Can I just give you a, a final thought, really, around the short term? What's, what's on your sort of desk in terms of the key things you're thinking about for the next sort of six to twelve months for the business? Growth is a, is a is a we're a growth business. Uh, there's an energy in the business as a result of many years of being successful with new customers and being successful in landing them. Uh, we've got a watching eye on what happens in the future around uh, as a post. Uh, kind of wash up of COVID. So what does that mean? There'll be some levels of change within the organisations that we serve. But I actually only see that as being a positive for our organisation because we're very strong in econ, very strong in food and beverage, and those those sectors are particularly buoyant at the moment. Um, the last thing I probably would say is, um, in the end, we're successful about making successes of our customers. So being good at uh, collaborating with retailers through to manufacturers and suppliers in the end is going to make us a much better business and UK operation for supply chain. So if we can make a success of that last thing, we will do very well in growing our business. And that's that's a key thing for us. Gavin, thank you so much for your time. That's been brilliant. Um, so this is um, the, the week of the, the 9th of October. If you're watching this as, as we release it, um, we've got a, a workshop on adapting to change, which is very much the theme of this conversation we just had with Gavin, um, happening on Friday at 11. And, and Gavin has kindly agreed to be, be with us for, for part of that to answer any other questions that come up from the conversation we've had. I really appreciate that. So uh, thanks a lot for participating in our event and we uh, look forward to even more great programs throughout this month. Thank you very much.